morning, everybody. Be uh, turning over to Ephesians chapter 1 if you have your Bible with you. Uh, if you don't, uh, should be okay. You maybe can look on somebody near you. Uh, also, I believe the scriptures that we're going to read today are going to be on the, uh, the screen behind me. Uh, anyway, great to see you this morning. If I haven't met you yet, yet uh, my name is Reese Neeland, and I'm one of the ministers here. I know we got a lot of people that are uh, visiting with us, both from the community and from out of town as well. Uh, we have uh, just begun a new series of lessons from uh, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians. And we did uh, part one last week, and uh, we'll continue today. The theme of the series is Be Rich. We thought that would encourage you because we know that's something everyone wants to be. Uh, we all want to be rich. Uh, of course, we're talking about uh, finding true, true spiritual riches, uh, being uh, rich in life in a way that uh, money can never provide us. Uh, I would mention as we, we go on, very excited about Reggie's baptism uh, this last week. Where did Reggie, did he move? He was here, okay, he made our hero here. Uh, very, very exciting. Also, something else very exciting. Uh, we want to uh, really announce and, and, and really acknowledge uh, one of the young men in our church. He was originally baptized as a part of our teen ministry. His, uh, his mother is a part of the, the ministry here as well. Uh, unfortunately, for several years, he been uh, he, he went AWOL spiritually. Um, he, uh, he was not uh, practicing and, and following through with his commitment that he had made to Christ. However, very excited. He's made some great decisions recently uh, in the last few weeks. And we, uh, he's made a decision to uh, be restored to his faith and to uh, follow Jesus again. Very excited about this. Andrew Cervantes. Andrew right here. Very, very exciting. Okay, Ephesians uh, chapter 1. Last week, if you were here, we talked about you can be rich if you have God in your heart. And Paul, who is a missionary, is a great example of that because Paul, when he wrote this letter, uh, he was later in life and he'd been through a lot already. He was actually in prison. He was in prison for his faith. And so he's going through a lot, yet in spite of that, in this letter, his joy, his zeal, his passion, his faith is so obvious. And right in the very beginning, as he writes to these, these Christians here in the city of the ancient city of Ephesus, uh, he's just all talking about God. He's just overflowing with uh, really how he feels about God and who he understands God to be. And that made him rich. That made him able to live above his circumstances. If you're not there now, you're going to be there. Don't want to discourage you. Don't want to depress you today. But uh, we all face challenges in our life, don't we? Yeah. A great example of that, I think, uh, and what's possible, a uh, very dear sister that we love very much, Ann Grosch, recently lost her husband, and a lot of you would know that just last month, her husband died in the prime of his life. Anne is not here today. She's out of town. But uh, obviously, what it's few things that you could think of that would be more devastating than that. To suddenly lose your husband in the prime of his life, the father of your three girls, uh, to be left alone, uh, 
And uh, certainly that's a challenge for any of us. Yet uh, Anne had a post on Facebook this week. I don't know if any of you saw it. And uh, it was just a picture of her. She was actually outside standing and uh, had her arms stretched wide. And she just wrote a little caption that says, With God, life is worth living. And that, that's the kind of richness of life that we all need to find. That's what we're really all about here. And certainly Paul is doing about, like that. He's rising above his circumstances. Uh, we need this. Today, we're going to uh, sort of look back at the same scriptures we looked at last week. And we're going to see if we can learn what Paul saw and understood about God that helped him to get God in his heart. I got a, a, quest, a couple of questions to consider as we uh, go on here. What if you were rich and you didn't know it? That would be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? Now you're probably like me and you're going, I am definitely not rich and I know it. Uh, but what if you were rich and you didn't know it? Uh, there's only one time in my life that uh, I thought I was rich, and uh, that was then later on I discovered that I made a thousand dollar error in my checkbook. <laughs> See, I'm one of those people, you know, that I don't trust the bank when they send me a statement. You know, I have a checkbook and I do all the math myself, and uh, you know, and I'm one of those that compares the monthly statement I get and I balance it to the penny. And uh, I was so excited this one month because I thought I had $1,000 more than I had. And uh, it turned out I had made a $1,000 error. I may have gotten a master's degree in civil engineering, but evidently I still don't know how to add or subtract. <laughs> what if you were rich? But you didn't live like you were rich. How many of you ever heard of the name Hetty Green? Didn't think so. Probably by her name, that's H-E-T-T-Y. You might imagine that uh, she lived a long time ago. Uh, Hetty Green died in 1916 at the age of 81 years old. At the time that she passed away, she was the richest woman in America. She was worth, in that day, over a hundred million dollars. Figuring for inflation, that would mean today that she was worth about two billion dollars. That was billion with a B. Yes. However, the tragedy, and it really was sad about Hetty Green, and you can look her up on the internet, uh, there's a lot of information about her, is even though she was fabulously wealthy, she lived as if she was poor. She owned one dress, one black dress. She never turned on the heat or used hot water because it cost money.
When her son was 15 years old, he broke his leg. She initially tried to get him admitted to the free clinic for the poor. What if you were rich and you didn't live like it? What if you were rich and you didn't know it? I think that's where a lot of people who have already decided to follow Christ really are. They have riches that they don't know about. They're perhaps, we're perhaps rich and we don't live like we're rich. And really, I believe uh, Paul is going to help us out today. We're going to look at Paul and uh, we're going to learn from him. What did Paul know about God and about his love that we need to know? We're going to just look, uh, we're going to break this down and look at just the, uh, the first six verses. So let's, uh, let's read together in chapter one. We kind of did an overview last week, but we're going to look at it a little more specifically today. Chapter one, verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints or to the members of the church in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Hopefully, uh, are the words on the screen behind me? And I've chosen to highlight different words out of what, uh, what Paul has said. Now, I'm not going to turn around and look at it. I'm going to believe that those are highlighted. I'm going to believe that by faith. But we're going to talk a little bit about this because the title of the sermon today is Rich in Love. And the main point is that you can be rich if you have known the love of God. What Paul is talking about here and what we look at here is that Paul clearly understands and knows the love of God. Paul is what we might say, he is an it-getter. Do you guys know what an it-getter is? It's someone who gets it. Paul is an it-getter. He understands something about God that we definitely need to know. Now, we all understand in general what it means to be rich in love, don't we? We understand that if we have been loved, and if we are loved, then there's a wealth there, there's a richness of life there anytime that we're loved by anyone that is special, 
that is significant. Money can't buy that. The Beatles told us that a long time ago. <laughs> Money can't buy me love. But we don't need a song to tell us that. We understand that. But we can be rich in love if we have known the love of God. Once again, today we will be called into the presence of God. There will be time enough in another day to focus on ourselves. But really what we're going to do today is take a closer look at God. Starts out in uh, verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What I see there is that it's not about what God wants from you, it's about what God wants for you. Because He loves us, He wants to bless our lives, He wants to do great things in our lives. It says here that he is offering us grace and peace. Now let me ask you something. Is there anything we need more than grace and peace? Now grace is a word that is difficult to define actually. And in some ways, no matter who we are or how long we've been in the Lord, we're going to spend our lifetime getting a deeper and fuller understanding of what grace is. There's nothing extraordinary about that or unusual about that. It's just such a, a powerful, rich word that it's difficult to describe. The best definition for grace that I have ever heard is that grace is when those who deserve nothing are treated as if they deserve everything. Grace is more than just we're forgiven of our sins. Certainly that's usually the first thing that we think about and something that we desperately need, right? But grace is more, far more than just not being spared the guilt and the punishment or the discipline for our sin. Grace means that God rewards us way beyond it. It's like we got caught cheating on the test and the teacher said that's okay I'm gonna go ahead and give you the highest grade in the class grace is difficult to describe because it's it's so large we need grace God is offering us grace we need peace we all want peace of mind don't we the confidence to be able to live our life, the security of knowing what's going to, where we're going to go and the path that we're on and where we're going to end up, no matter what challenges we're facing in our life. We all need peace. The part that really speaks to me is it says, grace and peace to you from God. What does it say next? Our Father. I believe this is so important for us to all understand. If we can understand that the best one-word definition of who God is, is that He is a Father, then that will change everything that we feel and understand about God.
We all know, even if you didn't have a great father, even if you didn't have a perfect father, you know, there are very few of us who have had perfect fathers. My son Joseph is here. I'm just saying. Now, Joseph, uh, Joseph figured out a long time ago the best of uh, the best of of me is far from perfect. And our children grow up, and even those of us who are doing our best and really are good dads, once we get to be teenagers, it's pretty obvious who our dads are, isn't it? But here's the thing, even if you didn't have a dad, even if your dad wasn't involved in your life, even if your dad was desperately disappointing in so many ways, we all know what a perfect father looks like. You see where I'm going? That's how we know that the one we had wasn't perfect. But God, if we can understand that, is our perfect father in heaven. And one of the reasons that none of our earthly fathers are perfect is because if they were, we might not know that we need our father in heaven. Next time I disappoint you, Joseph, you need to remember that. We, if you can see God as your father, that changes everything. And so it's not surprising when we see that God, understand that he wants to bless us, that he wants to give us grace. That he wants to give us peace. Isn't that what all good dads want for their children? You know, now that we've talked about me, let's talk about Joseph a little bit. I had a pretty good idea that before he was born, that as he grew up, there would be times that he would disappoint me. I had a pretty good idea that there were times that he wouldn't be everything that a son could be. But I freely, he and his, my mother, his mother and I, we, we offered him grace. That's why even today, he still lives in our home. I didn't mean that as bad as it sounded. I apologize, Joseph. Joseph is temporarily, and his wife, Sinever, staying with us as he finds his gainful employment, having just moved back from seven years of doing mission work in Norway. Now you're feeling better about it, right? Oh. I may, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm sorry, Joseph, just, just more evidence of the imperfection of your father and more, just a better illustration of how, why you need God so much. He's a perfect father, but we, we freely, it's not difficult, we offer grace to our children. We want them to have peace. We do everything they can as our children grow up to take the stress and anxiety out of our life. And when they get older and they start feeling that and facing that, we want to make it better for them. We want to protect them. We want to fix it for them. We want to be there to provide them. That's what a good father does. But then maybe the most significant word in that whole thing, that whole sentence is, it's not just God the Father, it's God our Father. See, Paul is sharing personally, and he's sharing from his own experience. And it's very full, and it's overflowing through this whole thing. But I believe, intentionally, 
Every time he's talking about God and he's talking about the blessings that he has, he always uses our, we, us. Because what he had and what was available for him was just as much available for everybody in that church in Ephesus who read those words and heard them when they were first written 2,000 years ago. And they are just as available, that same opportunity for all of us today. He can be our father. You know, I had a, uh, a very significant conversation with somebody that I care about deeply just a few weeks ago. Somebody that I've been reaching out to, somebody that I've been trying to love. And this person came to me and they said, hey, you know, they came with tears in their eyes. He said, you know, I realize that you've been reaching out, that you've been loving me, and I've been holding you off at a distance. You ever have anybody do that? You're reaching out, you're showing love. They're, you know, he was being kind, I mean, he was being polite, but he was just clearly holding me at a distance. And he said, you know, I realize that. He said, I want to change that. He says, but here's the truth. What's been going on is I felt uncomfortable about how you love me because I didn't feel like I deserved to be loved. I wonder how many today even relate to that. When it comes to God, a reason a lot of us have not yet embraced the love of God is we're still stuck because we don't feel we deserve to be loved by God. We don't feel like he's our father. He's somebody else's father. He's a father for the special people. He's a father for the holy people. He's not my dad. I don't deserve to be loved. Let me tell you something that I want everyone in this audience to take to heart today. I don't care whether you are a follower of Jesus or you are not. Every single person in this room today is a child of God. You are all sons and daughters of God. Now you may be a wayward son. You may be a rebellious son. You may even be a lost son. But you are still a son of God. And he loves you like a father. Any of you who are a dad in here understand it is so easy to love your children. And some of you say, well, I'm not so sure about that. I... No, I understand. They, they tempt us mightily at times. Not, not you, Joseph, but your brothers. Joseph had two brothers. They, they were difficult at times. But Now, we, we love our children. As I like to say, I may have trouble loving your children, but never my own. We love our children. It just comes with it. That's, that's the way God feels. In the next part, later on down here, it goes, 
what is it at the end of uh, verse 4? The beginning of verse, in love, he predestined us and it goes on. God is a father and fathers love. God loves. Do you realize that no matter how you're living your life, you can't do anything today to make God love you more than he already does. You can't convince God, coerce God, or manipulate God into love you any more than he already does. Because that is who God is. The best description of God, certainly the description of God that I like above all else, is he is a father. And that makes you a son or a daughter of God. How do you really see yourself? Can we be honest? Can, can we be honest for a moment here? I don't know if you know the tagline of our new church here, uh, at least the new name we have, it's a Lifeway Church. Real life, God's way. That's our tagline. If you've never been here before, what we try to do is be very real about our lives and who we are. How do you really see yourself before God? The truth is, a lot of us are spiritually anorexic. Anorexia is a very serious disease, isn't it? We understand what that is. It's when you look in the mirror and you don't see yourself as you really are. Perhaps you're in great shape. Perhaps even many times you might be unhealthy, if anything, in being thin, but you see yourself as fat or overweight. Spiritual anorexia. See, a lot of us, sometimes even people have been in the church for years. You know how we see ourselves? We see ourselves perhaps as slaves to sin. We see ourselves as sinners. We see ourselves as servants, merely servants of God. You know what God wants to tell us today? No, you are my son. You are my daughter. Let's go on. In verse 3 it says, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That little phrase, in the heavenly realms, all I think that that means for us is that because of God and because of God's love for us and because of the, God's, the way God wants to work in our life, even now we can experience a little bit of heaven. If you've been in the faith for a while, then you probably know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we don't feel it as strong as others, but there are times where we feel like we feel different, something different, and maybe we experience life in a different way than we did before we were born again and before we decided to let God be our Father in heaven. And we experience a little bit of heaven. 
It's just a taste. It's just something that's leaving us a little bit of an indication of all that we can enjoy in the next life. In the heavenly realms, it says with what? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. What Paul understands, that we should understand, is that God has given us, in his love, everything we need. Nothing has been left out. Have you ever felt like in your life that perhaps life was unfair? Have you ever felt like some people got stuff that you didn't get? You ever looked around and go, why does he have so much money? And I don't. Why is she so pretty? And I'm not. Why is he so smart? You know, I work way harder in school than he does. And he still makes better grades than me. Why does he have, why did he grow up and his parents are still together and they didn't get divorced and his dad's still in his life and they have a loving family? Why didn't I have that? Life can be unfair. Have you figured that out? But here it says, when you come into this world, when you come into this thing and you let God be your father in heaven, None of us got left out. None of us have gotten anything that somebody else didn't get. Not anything that was needed. No spiritual blessings are missing. We have it all. Verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. The first word that means something to me is he chose us. That's pretty special, isn't it? To be chosen. We all know what that's like, don't we? That feels good when you get chosen, right? When the girl picks you, When the coach decides to keep you on the team. When that job that you're applying for and other people are too and you desperately want it, when they choose you, that feels pretty awesome, doesn't it? But the truth is, in this life, we know the other side of that story too, don't we? In fact... There have probably been more times, think about it, I don't want to send you down, a, you know, spiraling downward here emotionally, but there are more times where you didn't get chosen than there were when you did get chosen. Am I right about that? Why am I going there? Because I want to show you the difference 
All of us. He has chosen us. All of us have been chosen by God. It's, if you're a follower of Christ, it's no accident. God worked in your life. Do you see that? God moved in your life to bring you to Him. If you're a follower of, of Christ today, it's not because you chose God. It's because God chose you. If you are a follower of Christ today, it's not some cosmic coincidence. It's because God chose you. I wonder how many of us have missed the love of God simply because we think that we were the ones who chose God. Or we think it was just some coincidence. No, God chose us. What's even better, stay with me here, is he keeps on choosing us. You got to like that, haven't you? Sometimes we made choices in life, and at the time we were very excited about them. Do you know what I'm saying? And then later on, you weren't as excited about your choice. You know, we just had Valentine's Day. I've been married now. Almost 32 years. I got married when I was a young, young teen. Um, but when my wife got up on Friday morning, Valentine's Day, the first thing she asked me is, would you be my Valentine? Oh, don't act like you didn't say that. That's not how you said it? I was encouraged without reason? She, what I love about and what I appreciate is that Mary Kay keeps choosing me. She didn't just choose me once, but she keeps choosing me. That's the way God is. There's nothing that, if we understand that God is a father, there's nothing surprising about that, is there? Isn't that the way we feel about our children? Even when they are totally off the rails. The ones that are laughing know exactly what I'm talking about. The rest of you either are not parents or your parents are so young you don't understand it yet. But you just keep loving your children. You keep choosing. God keeps choosing us no matter what happens. It says he chose us before the creation of the world. Now how long ago was that? You know in life we understand this, don't we? The gifts that mean the most are the ones where it's obvious the person who gave you the gift put a lot of thought into it. 
It's not the it's not the gift where you know or suspect that merely hours before the gift was given, they were scrambling around trying to find a card, trying to get a gift. It's a lot easier now that you can buy things online. Look what I just got you, honey. Five minutes ago. God chose us. He knew your name and he chose you not just before you were born, before the creation of the world. Have I ever told you guys about the best gift that my wife ever gave me? I think I have, but you just forgot. Anyway, one early in our marriage, I mentioned that when I was 50 years old, whenever I turned 50, if I ever got that old, I wanted a recliner. Now my dad had a recliner, and I loved my dad's recliner, and every time my dad wasn't home, I sat in that recliner. But you know how it is, if you lived in one of those houses, whenever dad was home, I didn't sit in the recliner. But I love that recliner. And I don't know why I decided, you know, uh, I was going to wait till I was 50. I, I, I don't know. I'm going to wait till I was 50. And so I even forgot that I said that. And when I was 50 years old, I come into the house on my birthday, and I've got a brand new recliner there. Because my wife remembered. And she thought about that. I have a feeling she was planning that gift for years. And I love that recliner. And whenever I'm home, I sit in that recliner. Other people can sit there when I'm not home. But when I'm home, I sit in that recliner. It says he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now that little, those last three words, in his sight, are very important. We know why, don't we? Because none of us, are, we're neither holy nor blameless. But again, if you're a parent, you understand that. We always think the best about our children, don't we? I always assume that my children are perfect right up until they're not. But even when they're not, and I even knew that they're not, I still see them in a different way. And that's okay. And I, you know, it says God, he, he knew when he chose us. He knew we weren't going to be perfect, but he determined to figure out a way so that we could be holy and blameless in his sight. And that's what Jesus does for us. In love. We already talked about that. 
He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. He predest predestined us. Turns out God has a destiny for us all. Turns out God has plans for us. And like any parent, you know, what we try to do as parents is we try to show our children, give them different opportunities and help them find out whatever they're going to do and whatever they're going to be in their life, that's, we're going to help them find their way to find their destiny. It's not the same destiny as everybody else, but that's what parents do. God has plans for us. Certainly, a, he wants us to be saved, but he also has great plans for what he wants to do with us in our lives. It says here, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. You know, we just saw the uh, adoption video today, didn't we? And I'm sure that when you see those videos, every child they put up there is incredibly cute and loving. And you all think, wow, if there was any way, I'd love to take that child home. And our heart goes out because there are literally, we understand this, thousands of kids in our world in the United States certainly far more than that around the world, perhaps millions in the world, who don't have parents. Either parents have died, or their parents didn't want them, perhaps. Or their parents couldn't afford to be able to support them. Whatever issues are going on. What we have to understand is that all adopted children are special. You know, Curtis and Lynn, they adopt a child that no other people have. Every adopted child is chosen. They adopted Natalie. Natalie was chosen. In the same way, what we have to see is, spiritually, we are all like those children that we see on those videos. We're without God and without a spiritual father. Until God comes along, he says, I want him. And I want her. And I want him. And I want her. And all of us who let God love us become adopted children of God who have the same privileges and blessings and experience as any natural born child would have. We've all been adopted. It says he did that in accordance with his pleasure and will. 
You know what that means? Is that God was excited about doing that? If you accepted the, the opportunity to follow Jesus, God made a decision. He determined that he wanted you. Not only did he decide to do it, he was excited about it. According to his pleasure and will. And finally it says in verse 6, To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Perhaps even now, we understand a little better than we did in the beginning. The glory of grace. The largeness. How grandiose grace is. How spectacular it is. How beautiful it is. It's no wonder that it's hard to define. Because there's so much to it. The way that God loves us is a father. It says that it was freely given. You know, uh, a lot of us have learned something about life. When somebody says, tells us they've got something great they want to give us, and it's not going to cost us anything? What have we figured out? It's going to cost us something. Have you figured that out about life? Most things that most people and most things that they say are free aren't free. They are hidden costs. But in this situation, with God and with his love and with all the blessings and the expressions of his love, it's freely given. You know, the only thing that we can do is receive it, to embrace it. I wonder how many of us have not yet embraced God's love today. Perhaps we haven't let God's love into our lives. You know, um, I'm one of those people, I've had the same Bible for many years. And uh, this part of my Bible, Ephesians 1, it's, uh, there's a lot of scotch tape on there. Just to keep the pages in. There's a lot of writing in the margins. You know why? Not because I was preparing this sermon today. I have struggled to understand the love of God. I have invested many, many hours through the years looking at this particular part of Scripture to try to have a better picture and understanding of who God is. And for many of us, maybe even here today, the biggest problem we have spiritually is is our picture of God. We all need a better picture of God. You know, uh, and it takes some, uh, some investment. I, I want to encourage you to be willing to invest in understanding and getting a better understanding of God, who God is, and how much God loves you.
You know, even if you go to a professional photographer, you probably know this already, it takes many hours to get a good picture. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Even the most beautiful people in the world, the models who go to professional photographers, they, these photo shoots last all day. Did you know that? Why? Because they want to get, they're investing to get the very best picture. Now me personally, I don't like to take pictures. I don't like to get pictures taken. If you're going to take my picture, let's do it as quickly as possible. <laughs> However, I have noticed the older I get and I see those pictures, the more disappointed I am. <laughs> I'm starting to rethink that. I go, maybe we should take a little more time on this. Maybe we should take several, several different shots. Because I'm not sure I like the one that we got here. And you're going you're gonna to put that on Facebook? You mean everybody in the Facebook world is going to see that picture? What are we willing to invest in order to get the very best picture of who God is? So I've got uh, just a couple of things to uh, suggest to you that I hope will help you. Three things. Number one, uh, next week, again, read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 every day. I mentioned that last week. Read it every day this next week and let, let it marinate. Let it enrich your soul. Number two, in the next week, write down three things about the love of God that mean the most to you. We talked about a lot of stuff today. Write three things that mean the most about God's love to you. And then the third thing is, share those things with somebody else. We need to invest in our love for God. Understanding of God's love. To be rich in love. We're going to uh, just take just a moment here as we close out our service. Uh, very excited that uh, we have one of our college students who's going to come and share how God has worked in her life. I'll let her introduce herself.